the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to another episode of Sideline Sanity with me, Michelle Tafoya, sponsored by Legacy Precious Metals. There has never been a better time to invest in precious metals. Go to LegacyPMInvestments.com. LegacyPMInvestments.com. As always, we appreciate their support. They've been so great to us. This is going to be an interesting show. Let me read you a tweet by our forthcoming guest. I'm here for the nuance to explore the liminal space where truth often lies between tribalistic extremes. I want to take responsibility for the audience I am growing on Twitter, but I don't want to become another spoke in the wheels of the algorithm, a digital slave. Those are the words of Dr. Joel Brown. He is a doctor, a Christian, a centrist, a musician, a critical thinker. He's over in the UK. So it's a different time zone for him to be joining us, but he graciously agreed to talk to us. And we're going to talk about everything from, oh my gosh, where to begin, how he went from feeling like an oppressed black man to being disgusted that he used to feel like an oppressed black man. This is going to be a good one. That's next. For nearly three decades, she's reported the action from the sidelines. She started very young. She's covered the NBA, NFL, Olympics, and the college football and basketball national championships. And now, during these insane times in our world, Michelle Tafoya thinks we need a serious dose of sanity. This is Sideline Sanity with your host, one of the sanest people on planet Earth, Michelle Tafoya. Dr. Joel Brown, welcome from across the pond. Where in, in the UK are you exactly? I'm based in Bradford, not far from Leeds in uh, the okay. county of West Yorkshire. Lovely. Oh, see, I'm a sucker for the accent. So you you have me already. Uh, I am. Oh. I, I want to remind people that, uh, you know, I found you on Twitter and mm. your Twitter homepage says Christian centrist, critical thinker, Staff writer at Wrong Speak, which we've had Adam Coleman on, medical yeah. doctor, singer songwriter, attending Life Church Home. Yeah. You have an amazing array of things that you're involved in. Yeah. Uh, but really, it seems to me what your Twitter account is efforting to do is sort of give a slap in the face to this wokeism that we're all living in, yeah. this insanity. What Absolutely. brought you to that? Yeah, great, great question. I love the fact that you started talking about my other interests. And, and I think it's important to make clear. And I think this is the case for so many um, silent observers of this this walk insanity is that we, we just want to go about living our lives, whether you're a dad, whatever your faith might be, uh, your profession. But I love the title of this, this, this notion of sideline sanity. It's like it feels like sanity has been pushed to the sides and yes. you have this, 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 this sort of... 
ins insane normalization of ideas that are, are so contrary to, to the values that we all hold that will help our societies flourish. And I think for me, you know, it's one might say it's not particularly um, politically or professionally expedient to be as vocal as I am about the, the things that um, I talk about on Twitter, because, of course, you know, people worry legitimately about being cancelled and, and so on. But I think for me, as someone, as a father, as as someone who's just seen so much and I've, got, I've just got to a point where I felt I, I needed to be able to, one, talk about my own story where I felt I was caught up in, in, in much of this myself and the dangers of that and, and the fact that I feel we're at a, a tipping point if we don't start speaking about yes. it, that it's going to run away even worse. I, I completely agree with that. And that's why I left my previous job to do this. I, I felt like some of us have to just kind of put the brakes on this thing and, yeah. and be willing to take a little bit of the risk on. And, and I, yeah. I'm so heartened to see that you're doing that. Um, you said that you were kind of into it at one point. You were, yeah. you were on the other side, if you will. <laughs> it, it, how, how did that occur, first of all? Yeah. Um, and I'll explain it this way because I think it's useful just bringing a little bit of backstory. So, you know, I, I grew up in a fairly conservative home um, in the lovely island of Jamaica and then moved to the UK when I was about 16 with my parents. So I had fairly conservative views on the main political issues you can think of, including, um, you know, the issue of pro-life slash abortion or issues around sexuality, gender. And then it really wasn't until later in my life, you know, after going to medical school and, and, and those views, uh, you know, holding on to them um, by, by, you know, by threat. Um, but it was later as I started to kind of become more saturated in, in, in the culture, in a kind of secularized culture, even my faith was, um, was, was, was starting to kind of fall apart. I, I started to feel like as if my identity, um, you know, there was, there was a crisis that was happening and the sense of, okay, well, I'm a black person in a, in a, in a space of, uh, you know, where there's white majority and the, the narratives around negative experiences or outcomes for black people, the assumption that race is somehow to be, um, you know, the, the, the scapegoat for this. You've experienced racism. Of course, let, let it be clear, and I'm sure anyone who, uh, well, we can all be honest and say, yes, racism can happen, has happened, and does happen. But this automatic assumption or attribution of race and racism uh, as the best explanation for any kind of conflicts or disparity that, that people of color experience, that, that started to become normalized. And, and, uh, and I started to embrace that. And during that time of my own personal kind of internal crisis, is figuring out who I am as I navigated this world, I started to be introduced to more literature that that sort of uh, confirmed this idea that as a black person, it's me against the world, a world of white supremacy. That I'm, uh, you know, I need to uh, I need to articulate and, and kind of galvanize people together to kind of fight this this um, this demon of white supremacy. To borrow that you know that kind of uh, spiritual language, really, and um, and so I, I saw from my own life um, that the the how easy it was for me to become. So so totally absorbed in this in this kind of imaginary war again not to say that real racism doesn't exist but it was so exaggerated the the, the way in which i think every single um, instance of whether that was police brutality or this or negative interactions between the police or other other issues being sort of um, used to substantiate this this narrative that that the, the, the oppressed um, which are all people of color need to rise up against white people 
people. So I know what it's like as someone who has good intentions, who has a heart for justice, who wants to see some of the issues in our world, whether that's uh, homelessness, poverty, lack of education, lack of real genuine opportunity. I want those things to be addressed, but it's so easy to buy into a narrative that demonizes one group against the other. And that's part of the reason I speak out about this to kind of draw a light on my own life and my own experiences in, in that space and coming out of that thankfully. What? What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org slash impact. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org slash impact. What turned for you? Because it, clearly you were greatly influenced. I mean, it sounds like you were raised one way. I'm, try, I'm trying to wonder what your parents were thinking as you were making yeah. this turn to the left. And yeah. then you, you veered back uh, yeah. to this side of, hold on a minute. This is, we're blaming everything on race, everything. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, you yeah. know, if anyone wants to look for it, they can. I could, yeah. I could find examples of sexism and misogyny at every turn if I chose to. If I wanted to look for it, I could yeah. do that um, yeah. at, at every turn. I, oh, yeah. look, see, they they yeah. didn't ask me for my opinion because I'm a woman. You know that yeah. it, I could do that, but I choose not to. Yeah. Um, so I'm just wondering where the turn back initiated. Yeah, great question again. And I think fundamentally, I came to this stark realization that what we're dealing with here is a, a war on truth. It's an ideological war. It's this idea mm. that it's a battle of ideas. And if, if somehow we can convince people that there isn't this idea of, of objective truth, that your feelings don't ultimately determine what reality is, that, you know, that, that somehow th this is what I feel, I felt that th there was this realization that so much of what I was willing to throw away at the truths that I held dear because I just got so sucked into this kind of woke hysteria. And I just realized that I, I was willing to hurt people in the process. Dear friends, you mentioned my parents, goodness gracious, you know, because part of this, this, uh, the, the woke hysteria also made me uh, deconstruct my faith, the faith and, uh, you know, the heritage that was handed down for me. And of course, I don't think there's anything wrong with asking questions and, and genuinely pursuing truth, uh, you know, as you're trying to work out your, your faith, but this sort of um, kind of almost complete disavowal of, of Christianity, because it can be conveniently uh, claimed to be the kind of, you know, the, uh, the, the religious um, outplaying of the imperialistic structures of the world that just want to oppress people. And so it, it was just 
very convenient and very heartbreaking for my parents to witness that, but they continue to pray and support me in the background. And I, you know, been able to have uh, some wonderful reconciling uh, conversations with them about some of the ways that I behave towards them as well. And, I, and I, that's the thing. And I'll share this really briefly. At my grandmother's funeral in 2019, I met my um, my uh, my aunt um, who had not seen for many years. So she's actually technically the the um, the widowed wife of my uncle who died tragically at a car accident um, in, in Jamaica when they came out when I was only around 14 and I hadn't seen her for years and she was there at the funeral and um, and I remember she mentioned it just came up in one of the conversations we we're having in my grandmother's house that she supported um, Trump in his first presidency and I remembered the disgust that I felt I felt such like like almost like kind of pity and contempt for her as she tried to explain her position because of course I was caught up in the fever of feeling that I needed to um, you know demonize people just because they supported you know a particular uh, you know president and here's the thing whether one supports Trump or not is not the issue here it's what I'm trying to highlight is the mentality that uh, I feel that I, I was so caught up in a kind of a cult-like obsession um, that, that, that it was even yeah the way that I treated people that I should have treated differently um, you know was was uh, was was wrong and so part, I'm again explaining this because I, I the point I want to make is that the mentality uh, it drew me and made me behave in ways that I feel I feel was um, you know unhelpful, unloving, and I think what we need to bring back to this to the discourse is sanity, is is reason, is listening to each other mm-hmm. rather than demonizing each other. Wow! Yes, indeed, that is absolutely the case. We're talking with Dr. Joel Brown, and this is just a fascinating life and a fascinating journey. And we're going to continue because I want to get back to, again, how he became so grounded because to go from, as you described that this fever of, of feeling one way about things and living in this sort of thought bubble of everything is racist. Everything is, you know, about white versus black to where you are now, which seems on very solid ground that to me is a transition many people are afraid to make because they feel it's an admission that they were wrong or that the other side was right and that that we are so dug in on our sides. It's very difficult, I think, for some people to have the courage to, to take those steps. We're going to talk to Joel about that courage right after this. Well, here we are in 2023, and the economic outlook doesn't inspire me very much. I don't know about you, but there's one way to feel inspired about your financial future, and that's to invest in gold and silver. And the only company I trust when doing that is Legacy Precious Metals. You you know, you have options. You don't necessarily have to solely rely on the stock market, IRA, 401k. You can put gold into your portfolio. So gold prices are rising because investors are turning to gold as a hedge against inflation, protection against a weakening dollar. So contact Legacy Precious Metals. You need that investment that's going to protect your wealth and your retirement. Remember 2008? Folks who invested in gold saw significant gains. Other people lost their retirements. I recommend you contact Legacy Precious Metals. It's a great long-term play. You can speak directly to an IRA expert at Legacy Precious Metals. Here's the number, 866-528-1903, 866-528-1903, or download their free investor's guide at LegacyPMInvestments.com. 
LegacyPMInvestments.com. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org slash impact. All right, back with Dr. Joel Brown. I want to read this, his pinned tweet, because I, I love this. Mm-hmm. I'm quote unquote black, and it's interesting, you did not capitalize black, as many people are would like you to do these days. Mm-hmm. Intelligent, university educated, well-read, well-spoken, under 40, a medical doctor, and I don't have my preferred pronouns in my Twitter bio, nor do I believe that, quote, white heteronormative patriarchy, unquote, is the greatest threat to human civilization. You have close to 19,000 likes on that particular tweet. It's just so interesting. Um, the, the pronoun thing is something that I don't know why it bothers me as much as it does. Mm-hmm. I interact with a lot of people every day, and whether they are from my kids' school or from my own professional dealings, when I see pronouns at the bottom of their email address mm-hmm. or on their Twitter handle, I just go, what, what the hell? <laughs> just, I just, I don't, you know, and it, it's turned into this thing as though it's part of your signature, your identity. People must know. Yeah. What do you make of that? What, how did that happen? I, I think a lot of it is what I would describe as, um, well, it's been called virtue signaling. I've come up with my own version of that yeah. term, virtue farting. Oh, is this is this notion <laughs> where <laughs> is this notion where there's you've got to kind of present yourself uh, as this kind of you know it's this sort of sanctimony. I, I'm so moral. I've got to write this down. I'm sorry, I can't forget. But the thing is, is I keep think, going. I, I I just I just don't see the need. Um, and I remember when I to see the emails, and I mean, fine, it's it's very much a part of the culture now, especially in academia. And I and I wrote that tweet, and I'm by the way, I'm not trying to have a go at anyone. I'm just saying, you know what, that's not for me. You're not going to see that on my profile. I don't feel the need to, uh, you know, to to, to tell people that, um, I, you know, I I'm a man. He you know, his, but at the same time, I just felt so, so much of that, that performance of this is what, this is what you need to say or do to, to, uh, to give off the impression that you, you are, you have the moral high ground. And I, I, I just find it unnecessary. <laughs> I do too. I, I do too. Um, you know, it's interesting to me that the word culture is rooted in the word cult. And yet, you know, culture is something we share. And part of our shared culture is language. Mm -hmm. And it seems to me that language is being distorted and twisted. And, and that's, I feel like that's a dangerous trend because we're we're changing the definitions of meeting of the definitions of words to, to help a a particular cause or a, a viewpoint. 
And yeah. um, for instance, the word, the term red pilled, I saw mm. it, it may have been in Adam Coleman's uh, recent Substack, and I yeah. read it and I said, you know, I want to make sure I understand what the term red pilled means. And I found probably 10 different definitions, vastly different. It mm. depended on who was talking about. Red pill is when women find out that men have da 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 da. And I'm like, wait, 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 wait. That's not what he meant. I'm sure that's not what he meant. Then I mm. found another definition, another. And, and this is, I think it's, it's dangerous because then you've got to walk on these eggshells to mm. make sure you use the proper terminology and heaven forbid you don't and you make a mistake. Yeah. I, I think that's a fantastic reflection, and and I mean I'm by no means any you know an expert in in linguistics, but I mean there are people like John um, John McWhorter who, who's fantastic at that, just explaining the way that yes. um, you know language does evolve. But I feel like the in this sort of leftist kind of um, game, it is, a, it is a word game, and there is this sense in which, as you said, we, we have to be tippy toes about what words you're allowed to use, what words can get you cancelled, um, and, and and how words are, are be. Weird. I think the latest thing I read now is that a, a particular university department has said that we have to remove the word field from, or so you can't. They can't talk about field. Um, practice or field work because there is this feeling that it's it's upsetting to black people and uh, and, um, and and immigrants because of the history of of uh, i guess enslaved people that works worked in the fields and i mean i'm just thinking who really asked for that i don't know any person defined as black or, I don't, I, you know, who would who would want that it's just it's it's really unnecessary and i think at the same time the interesting thing is that you know again Words are important. When you think about even the the consideration of um, issues of pro life or abortion, you know, again for for a long time for me, um, I, I was more left leaning, you know, pro pro um, pro choice, and and come, came to a place of really recognizing that a, a part of the way that many people have been duped into the the kind of pro choice. It seems sort of fairly liberal, of course. Yes, you want to give, and I, oh, I do understand uh, that you know that reproduction is a, a burden that you know the woman uh, carries and of course her choice in that is important but the way in which for instance the life the sanctity of life in the womb is demonized or it's just a clump of cells words can be used words can be like spells they can be used to um you know to, to subtly change your mind about the way you perceive the worth or value of things so we've got to be really cautious and careful as we dissect and, and, and understand as you said i love the fact that you read the word and you instead of jumping Jumping to assume or project meaning, you were willing to go ahead and go. Well, what does red pill mean in different contexts, and try to figure out uh, what that word might have meant contextually? Yeah, I still didn't really get my answer, but fortunately, in Adam's column, I, I figured it out because of the way that he used it. I figured out what he meant by it. But that, yeah. again, that it, that you could take a term and have it mean so many different things. Absolutely. You are incredibly well educated. Obviously, you're a doctor. Um, and you mentioned John McWhorter. I'm a huge fan of his, his, his writing as well and, and all that he does. Um, mm. Again, I, I feel as though there must have been a moment for you or a, a time in your life where you sort of went, you had a, a, a revelation, an epiphany, an awakening to yeah. where you were and how it, it, it was, a, in your words, a, a bit insane, a bit less yeah. common sense than then you maybe at, at a gut level knew. So what, ha what do you, can you attribute it to a moment? 
Yeah. And that's a really good question. And I've given this some thought and I've, you know, tried to express it in words and some of the things I've written on Twitter. So, you know, people feel free to follow me on Twitter to kind of get a little bit of the backstory as well. And, and they really do. Thank you. And it's not like as if there was a singular moment, but what I do recall was just feeling this, this sense in which um, the, the way of viewing the world in the kind of far left extremes drew me to just view and perceive everything so negatively that it also compounded quite negatively on my own mental health. I felt quite anxious. Um, I, I felt quite depressed. I felt like as if I couldn't trust people, especially white people, because even if they were nice to me, if they didn't speak out about this racial issue or that, I, I wouldn't be able to be that sure that they were they were definitely allies, unless they were performing allyship in some kind of really obvious way. There's, there's, there's so much of that, right. that, you know, that I found so difficult. I think when I got to the the bottom of of, of it all, you know, that there is this sense in which I feel like as if I'd pushed and lost so much. I lost my faith. I'd lost my, uh, you know, my, my self confidence, even despite what I've achieved. And, uh, you know, my, whether that's education uh, or not, there was still this sense of I am an oppressed Black person because of history. And I therefore carry the weight, the vicarious burden of all of that history in me. And I can't, and there was a sense in which it's like as if my life was in a standstill. And for me, the multiple moments of recognizing that, of finding my my faith again, of finding hope, and also finding that, you know what, that worldview is not required, as in the, the, the leftist view that I have, the extreme leftist view, is not required to be able to inspire people towards justice, towards addressing the issues in our world like poverty. And so my grandmother, who was a lifelong, you know, Christian woman in Jamaica, did incredible things motivated by her faith for the community that she served as as an educator. And there's that kind of legacy that I was able to also be brought back to my mind and and just to find that hope again. And I think for me, it's just seeing the pain and the hurt that I caused, seeing the loss, coming to terms and realizing this sense of I need to hold on to the truth. And for me, I'm unashamed to admit the truth of who Christ is to me was one of the most fundamental truths to help to kind of just restore that sense of um, that sense of balance, that sense of, um, I think, and then also realizing that we can truly love all, you know, all people from wherever backgrounds they are, whatever they happen, whatever their gender, uh, you know, is or, or sexuality, I believe, and that's my, I'm compelled to do so. My faith is a sufficient basis and I don't need to get caught up in this sort of Olympics of, of who's more repressed than the other and, uh, and, and, and wage oh. against different groups. You, and so you've, you've used a couple of words here, hope being one of them and, yeah that you sort of, it sounds like you came from a dark place into a light place. And I I wish that for, for everyone, no matter where they are uh, to find, to have hope. And, and your faith is clearly very important to you. Um, I, I, I like to talk to people about this because I'm sort of in the middle of the road where it comes to faith. And I, and I see people and you are one of them. Um, Mm -hmm. There are many, I used to work in professional sports and, and so I've met coaches and players, all of whom had really deep faith. 
and use terms like I, I live for an audience of one and that audience is God, or, you know, I stand by the Lord. Um, and I, I have, I don't think I've ever found that particular, that particular feeling in my life, but I notice that people who have are really happy, hopeful, loving, open, and very often successful people. Not always. A lot of, you know, people who are just striving to get along, but Mm -hmm. still have this deep faith and this kind of love in their hearts. Mm -hmm. And so if you could, how would you explain how you develop this relationship? Is it with, with, with Christ? Is it with Christianity? Was it just something that you were raised with and so was so embedded into you or is this a more than that yeah that's thank you for giving me the opportunity to explain this because i think what yeah. you said about relationship is is so key i was brought up in a fairly um you know a very christian home i was almost i could almost say i, I was born on a pew and so that you know that was that was what it was like my dad and elder you know, mama worship leader I'm very musical as you mentioned from my twitter bio so i grew up around that music grew up around that heritage and um and, and loved it and embraced it and was you know baptized when i was um nine but the thing was when i tell you that if you spoke to me a few years ago I became absolutely just completely turned off religion altogether. I I was an, an absolute atheist. I believed that religion was just uh, fairy tales, imagination. I became like, you know, I, I just felt that I, I just didn't want to have anything to do with it. I rebelled against it completely. And I think for me, in terms of where I got to in my heart space in in the in this kind of you know, in this transition, is that I I realized that the disillusionment of society, how far that you know the, that we have gone as, as as people in our tendency to 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 rebel, how much we hurt each other, how much we distort truth for whatever agenda or whatever purpose, it it can and and oftentimes has been what. If we look back and look more closely, we see that, that there has been that disconnect that has that has broken our sense of how can why would we want to trust the God who seems to allow for these things to happen in the world? And, I, and there was a sense of disappointment in my in my own life. It's just like I just don't feel like I can trust you, God, with with my own life, my own sense of frustration with my own identity, with what's going on in the world. But I think what it what it came down to, I kind of came to the end of myself and I feel like God for me and understanding Christ and, and what he's done for me, what the Bible teaches as it relates to, you know, Christ coming from heaven to earth, you know, nearly 2000 years ago um, as a baby in this place, um, you know, where, where of course, you know, as, as the story, not, not, not long gone past Christmas. And so we understand that there was, you know, this, this contention in the, in the land. And of course, um, you know, there, there was, you know, the, the, the census that was put forth for all, all boys to be killed. So you have this situation where Christ is born, in in a place where you know he there was no room for him and he came and he 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 demonstrated um a life where 
I mean, despite the fact that he was hated and 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 treated in the way that he was when he ultimately died, um, you know, on on the cross, he still loved those. He still loved his his enemies, and I believe that what happened in that in in his life and the example of his life was that that this kind of radical love was able to to overcome. The, the evil that even the greatest evil of his his uh, his execution and, and I believe obviously that he, he he resurrected and 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 what he was really trying to uh, to model and and for us as as those who believe in him and are his disciples is how do we follow that example of of selfless love of of you know standing firm in the truth of when we're wrong we say we're wrong and we repent and we we trust we trust God and there's an opportunity in in this relationship with Christ, with this kind of model of how to be in a world that seems so evil, that seems to be, mm. um, you know, just headlong into into um, into uh, you know abandoning truth and and um, and distorting it. How are we to be in the world? And it's this: there is this radical love that I'm able to love people that that may hate me, call me names or whatever. And, um, and there's this restored sense of peace in the storm that I have that despite the chaos in the world, I'm just, I, I feel this, you know, and I, and I foster that relationship through prayer, worship, I play my piano and my guitar and I have these moments. I share some of them on Twitter as well. And I share that not because I'm trying to necessarily, it's not like I'm trying to convince people. I just want to, to be sincere about what, you know, what matters to me and, and my heart and my relationship with God is so key. And I'm so grateful that it's been restored in this process. But I do also speak out about the things that I do in the political sphere, because I think as, as Christians, as people who follow Christ, we, we, we can't just sort of, you know, I, I think it's important that we no longer just pretend that these things aren't important. We need to lend our voice to addressing these things as well. Yeah, yeah, they are important. How did becoming a father change you? Great question. Um, I've got two beautiful daughters, uh, and, and one is um, eight, and the other one's uh, six. And I'll tell you this: um, you know, that the second one came at a point where things were challenging and difficult because my my faith journey started just just yeah just before then so as i said they the, my faith deconstruction kind of led up to uh towards you know when i eventually kind of became much more on the left um the kind of left extremism because of course at that point i just kind of you know truth was just out the window and it was all subjectivity but when she, my my second child was born i called her imani and Imani um, is a is a is word. There's a, it's a I think it's Tanzanian. The word means faith. And um, and even at the time when I was wrestling with all of that, there was something about looking at her, uh, looking at her face. It was just so transformative. It just it started to soften my heart. And and I, even at the time when I thought that faith is just it's just a kind of a make believe word at the time when she came along, um, I. I I remembered just feeling like, you know what, she was starting this kind of process of softening my heart to kind of trust again, to believe again, to hope again. That's amazing. It's an amazing story. Um, and, and you are such a worthwhile follow on Twitter. So I want to promote it again. It's hang on a second. Cause I might don't have my glasses on. So I need to put them on. It's at Joel Brown, MD, Joel, J O E L Brown. Mm -hmm. MD and uh, you are worth and I see that your following is growing 
um, which encourages me. Do you sense a shift in the way people are starting to look at all this insanity or, or not? (laughs) Are you hopeful? I am. I've, I I can't help but be an optimist. And and I tell you the, the number one reason is I look at my own life. I would never, if you spoke to me again at the height of my participation in this very insanity, you would not believe that you would believe these are just two different people. It's like a, Paul and Saul's to, to borrow the biblical um, scenario, really transformative. Um, and I believe that, you know, that is possible through a, a combination of things. I think, I think we've got to remember that these are still people. It's very easy to get caught up in the kind of tribalism of, of us versus them, but to see them as, as people, some of them are family members, even if they're estranged because yeah. of political views, there's a lot of division. I've seen families break down over these issues and, and it's sad, but I believe that if we show that compassion to each other, uh, we're willing to, to listen, even pray for each other. And, and even people who are not sure where they stand on faith, I still believe that, you know, just just have that space in your heart to just think about those people who you think are so irredeemable or who are just lost and still have that compassion to say, you know what, I'm going to treat them right. I'm going to show love to them, be kind to them and have conversations where they, uh, where their opportunity arises and just, you know, show them, show them information, show, show them um, reason as well and show them facts and and you'd be surprised that people can can change it's not easy and a lot of people there's a lot of resistance to this because i think depending on how deep you're into it it's like it affects the way you think um on a very subconscious level but i i still remain hopeful and i want to be part of the solution what impacts you every day There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org slash impact. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org slash impact. I love that. I love that. And I'd love to talk to you again. There's so much we didn't even get into. I mean, this, it's an expansive topic and it affects so many areas of everyday life. Um, I don't know if you're familiar because I'm not sure how around the world this story got, Mm -hmm. but we had a member of the Buffalo Bills injured about a week ago and he had to be resuscitated on the football field during a, a primetime Monday night football game with millions and millions of viewers and his name is damar hamlin and this phrase pray for damar went everywhere yeah um some people chose love for damar instead of pray but there was an awful lot of the word pray yeah going around prayer prayer for him you know raise up prayers 
and it was unusual. Um, and I think because it occurred in professional sports, which is a little bit of a left-leaning institution yeah. these days, um, mm -hmm. it was surprising, but it was also kind of uplifting. And yeah. uh, I don't know, it, how much of that story were you aware of over there in the UK? I definitely was aware and it was because of Twitter. Um, so thanks to Twitter and Elon Musk yeah. and the rest of the crew there that, you know, making this uh, yeah, no kidding. Get, get news. Um, it was, it, it just, it touched me so deeply. It touched me so deeply to see the fact that he's come around as well. And I mean, it's, um, yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm a, I'm a testament. I'm a living testament that that prayer works for sure. Um, but to see that happen in, in that, in that setting and see people come together, people who may not necessarily be religious and, at, or, you know, just, but right. they felt moved to come around. I remember seeing pictures of, of so many of the uh, teammates around on, on, on kneeling down, kneeling actually to pray rather than some virtue signaling thing. They were kneeling down together, black, white, everybody down on their knees saying, you know, oh. God help, please bring this, bring this brother through and cardiac arrest. I, I could tell you from a medical point of view, I mean, you know, I think statistically it's quite low. If you, if you've, if you've had your heart stop and you know, had to do CPR, I mean, it's, it's, I think it's, I consider it almost a, a miracle that he's that he's come around and, and that he's and that he's well and back in the land of the wow. living. Then the important message there is that at the core, I think as human beings, we we I believe genuinely that we have this spiritual sense. We have this sense of, um, and I think it's something that can can unite us even in the most divided times, as you said, even on platforms where that's not the thing to do to to pray. It's like it's it's football it's just let's just play the game and we pay our money and but at that point in that weakness in that moment that solidarity of us coming together and I, that's why i think it's just crucial that we 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 continue to to acknowledge and that's one of the things on the the i do see in the right there is this sense of, of holding on to the virtues of things like prayer uh as, as important whether one even prays that much or not seeing its value of the the, the tradition of prayer and the utility of that uh and, and worship but i think i think it's important that we just as societies don't just abandon things because we think oh that, that's just tradition of yesteryear that there is there is value that we and we should right be, yeah we shouldn't be too quick to this it, precisely. Well said. Uh, again, I'd love to have you back. What a great conversation. Dr. Joel Brown, find him at Joel Brown MD on Twitter. It's a great follow and he's inspiring as you can see. Thank you for being here. Thank with you. Us. And I'll really continue to pray it. for you and, and your cast as well. You take care and be blessed. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. He is Joel Brown. I'm Michelle Tafoya. This is Sideline Sanity. As I always say, be brave and do good. Thanks for listening. Always a good day when Charles Thorngren of Legacy Precious Metals can join us and answer some really different questions. And I thought of a few new ones for you, Charles, if that's okay. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm fascinated and we hear so much about gold and silver and, and precious metals. So if I could just ask this broad question, what is the role of gold mm. in a portfolio? Great question. And when we look at that and the answer to that is, has a couple of different features to it. It depends on the individual, but its main purpose is the insurance policy for your finances. 
it is meant to be the foundation by which you do all other things, right? We know that gold and silver um, have an inverse relationship to the dollar. Um, it protects your purchasing power. So when we invest, that's what we're saying. We want to make sure that we have the ability to manage our money and have our money do what we need it to do for us. It's not the collection of dollars for dollar's sake, but for what it does for us, how we pay our bills, how we retire, how we feed our family, how we uh, go on and bless others and, and donate to causes we believe in. That's what money does for us. It's not the dollar itself. It's the thing it provides for us. And what gold does is make sure that that money continues to have purchasing value. Because there are times we find that, hey, my money doesn't have the same purchasing Absolutely. value it had last month. Absolutely. And this is a unique time. We're seeing it. I, I This term called hyperinflation, which usually refers to, you know, inflation in the 18s and 20 percent. I consider this a time of hyperinflation because it's so much more than what we're normally used to, right? When we prepare and we budget and we say, this is the course of my life and this is how I'm going to do things, this is where I'm going to put my money, we use some basic numbers, 2 to 3% inflation. That's what the Fed says is good. But that's not even great. Over a lifetime, that's a lot of inflationary loss to your dollar. But when you have a period where it jumps to the points where we're at now, and we're in the eight and a half, nine is going to be into the double digits soon. In this shorter time frame, that's a hyperinflation situation to me because it throws everything off dynamically and so, so radically. You do, you do see us going into double digits, huh? Absolutely. Oh. The Fed even sees us going into double digits. You know, there was a, an interesting report where one of the, the Fed chairmen were saying, 2023, we're not going to talk about that. But in 2024, by summer, we may be able to start to drop the interest rates. When someone tells me they're in charge of something, but they say this new year that's coming, just forget about that completely. We're not even going to talk about that. That's a bad sign. <laughs> they don't want you to think about it. Exactly. They, don't, they want you to look past it and sort of ride it, ride it off and... right now. Just don't even think yeah. about it. It's going to be bad. But hey, 2024, though, you know. And interestingly enough, right around the time of an election, they want to start talking about what they're going to do. Isn't that fascinating? That timing is just really interesting. Before I we finish up here, I, I'm always fascinated with how gold is priced. How, how do we get a price of gold? You know, the spot price of gold is really determined by the world market. The London Bullion Exchange, right? And this has been for hundreds of years now. Um sets a price and the rest of the world revolves around that. Now, our currency will determine how much more than it is in the pounds and things like that. And there's a calculation for it. But that's one of the great things about gold and silver. Their value is recognized around the world. No matter what currency, what country you're in, it has value. Uh, I just recently come back from a trip where I was overseas not that long ago. And I bring gold with me everywhere I go. Um, not a lot, so don't try to catch me in the airport. Um, <laughs> but I have something that is valuable no matter where I'm at. I can go anywhere in any country and turn that into its currency in no time at all. You're talking about carrying around physical gold? Absolutely. Really? Absolutely. Do you, do you, do you How walk much around is with safe dollars? to carry around if you're – well – no, you're right. Uh, so if and and that gold is going to have the same uh, value 
across the board, no matter, no matter where I go, slight right? Deviations, because, very slight deviations, yeah. but it's not very large. Okay. You know, usually less than yeah. 1% difference in the price. This is really interesting. I, I can't let you go before I ask you this because I'm picturing you now walking around with some <laughs> you know, gold coins in your pocket. I'm thinking, wow, that would feel risky. But when you go into another country, for instance, with some gold, how easy is it for you to go say, here, I want to exchange this for, or, you know, I'm assuming you're not going to a restaurant and slapping down a gold no. bullion or something. No. But you could overseas. In certain places of the world, they recognize that just like regular currency. Wow. But I wouldn't use but, gold. But it's dinner. easy to ch exchange once you get to another country? Yeah. Just very easy. Most of the time you can do it at the airport. Same places where they change currency. A lot of them will change uh, metals too. And is physical bullion the, the, the best way to go? It is. It really is. When you're traveling or always in any investment in gold? Uh, you know, there's certain things you can do outside of just bullion that may make sense once you've laid a portfolio down, right? Um, diversity in metals is important too, but your basis for all investments should be your basic bullion, whether it's gold or silver. You want to have that foundation set in the base metal itself, giving you the most value that you can get. And obviously every person's situation is unique. So why not just call and speak to an IRA expert at Legacy Precious Metals, 866-528-1903, 866-528-1903. Or they can always download your free investor's guide, right? It's true. at LegacyPMInvestments.com, LegacyPMInvestments.com. Do you have any gold on you right now? I do. Give me half a second. I got to see this. I just want to see. I mean, I, it's it seems like almost like in the old days when you walk around with that, you know, Mr. Scrooge and his gold coins in his pocket. Not that you're. Can you sort of turn it around and show us that? That's now for our listeners. They're not going to be able to to just to see what we're seeing. But you've got a little container and they're just they're kind of the size of half dollars, right? Yeah, Would just about a half dollar. And this or? is this is the American Gold Eagle. And this is a. Uh, $22,000 worth of metal. Yikes. Charles isn't messing around <laughs> and neither are we, but please go get your questions answered. This is such an important time to be thinking about your money, your long-term play in addition to every short-term concern that you have. Charles, always good to talk to you. Thank you so much. My pleasure. And you know what? 2023 is coming. Call now, find out <laughs> so you can make your decisions for, before then. Yes. And before the elections again, yes. and they can tell us what they're going to tell us then. They're, they're telling you to overlook 2023. That means you now's the time to inquire. Absolutely. Again, LegacyPMInvestments.com. Charles Thorngren, always good to see you. Thank you. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.